Well, let's keep that in mind. As we look at our passage today, we're in the Fruit of the Spirit series. We're on our third week, and we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there. I'm thrilled about today's lesson. Today's teaching time is going to turn your life right side up. And when we talk about fruit of the Spirit, it's, ta- it's referring to it's the Holy Spirit causing fruit in our lives. And the fruit means uh, characteristics, attributes, character qualities that are found in Jesus Christ. When we say we're going to become like Christ in all of life, these, that's what the fruit looks like. Today, we're going to look at the fruit peace. Peace. And if you want, you go by the front and our little fruit stand. We have various stickers here. We got love, joy, peace. And I got patience because <laughs> I'm waiting until next week to get patience. Uh, and then we uh, have a study guide. We have plenty of these printed up this week. <laughs> Sorry about last week. So we want everybody to get one of these. We'll, I'll explain how that works in just a few minutes. We'll be going through the study guide together this summer. But today, like I said, I'm especially thrilled because today we're going to look at taking the mystery out of, of how the fruit of the Spirit even work. Today we're going to talk about the power of the Spirit and how it works in our lives. The, the, again, the, the fruitfulness is not our fruit. It's the fruit from the Holy Spirit. It comes when we yield to Him and His direction in our life. That's what we'll be explaining today. And Like I said, it's a paradigm shift. It'll be fun. It'll, it's kind of a problem-solution type of lesson. The problem is we are at war. We are at war, and that war prevents the Spirit working in our lives to produce this fruit. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 because that's the context that the fruit of the Spirit is listed. It's it's in this bigger context talking about two critical uh, words that are to understand what this war is, two critical terms that you need to understand to understand what Paul will be talking about. One is he'll be using the word flesh multiple times, and the flesh isn't the, 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 the meat here. It's rather, it, it is our, our sin-desiring nature. It's a, a sin-desiring nature, and I'm choosing those words carefully, as opposed to God-desiring. Okay? There's the, it's ultimately about desires. And the war, in the context of Galatians, is not about, it's not between, like, maybe our two natures, we might have two natures. No, it is, it is our sin-desire nature and the third person of the, whole, of, of the Holy God. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit versus this, these flesh desires, which leads me to the second word that we need to make sure we understand, and it's the word desire itself. In the passage in, in Galatians chapter 5, every time the word desire is going to be used in Greek, it has a prefix attached to it. The prefix is epi, and epi means super. In other words, the word desire is used, and then Paul intentionally writes, wait, I'm going to add epi to that. I'm going to make sure that you understand these are super desires. These are controlling desires. These are, these, this is crucial to understand this, this prefix, epi, because they It'll change our understanding of the passage, but it is what motivates us to do whatever we might do. And some of the desires we might even have are immoral, and some of them are moral. But once they become epi-desires, they, they are in contrast or they're working against the Spirit at that point. So even something like safety is a good desire, epi-safety becomes a lust. 
and then the, the Spirit can't work in us to produce this fruit. So the idea is this, is the war is concerning what we allow to motivate us, what we allow to control us. And we can see that now, now we know those phrases and terms. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, for the flesh has super desires that are opposed to the spirit. But look, the spirit has super desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other so that you cannot do what you want. They're the super desires. They're desires, and then they fuel us. They control us. Just to review again, some are immoral, uh, various passions that we might have. Uh, the, The classic phrase what has to go, uh, it worked until it didn't. Uh, classic addiction in, in the context of, of passion would be something in our culture, certainly alcohol, where someone says, yes, uh, I participated in that, had it wrapped around my finger, and then it devolves, it becomes an epi-demand desire, and next thing you know, we're wrapped around its finger. But they can also be moral desires. And good grades, good, that's a good thing. They become epi good grades when we find ourselves devastated when we don't hit that mark that we thought. To be a good parent, that's a good desire. But if it becomes a super desire, then what happens when, you know, little Billy gets in trouble at school or in front of other people, we are ashamed. And we bring that emotion in, we find ourselves scolding little Billy way more than we ought to because we're trying to teach him a lesson, never shame me again. I'm the super, I'm the epi parent. See how epi makes a good thing a bad thing because it starts wrapping us around its finger, telling us the way it ought to be. We don't just want comfort. That's a good thing. We need comfort. I must be respected. And we can see those epi desires show themselves in a lot of times our reaction, or I would say overreaction, to something when we don't get that desire, that epi desire. So now the solution to the battle, the way we win, is found in chapter 5, verse 16. How do we overcome these epi desires? He says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the super desires of the flesh. And then just uh, verse 18 gives us another clue on how to do that. He said, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those two sentences help us understand what it means to walk by the Spirit and how to overcome the epi-desires. The first one, it says, it says, what does he say? The first one, he says, walk by the Spirit. Later, it says, led by the Spirit. The reason I'm thrilled to be here today is because that's what we're going to talk about. So hold that thought for just a minute. Because a clue to that is in the verse 18, the way it ends, it says, but you, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That seems like it came out of nowhere. Wouldn't it say if, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the flesh? Aren't, aren't we have a war between the Spirit and the flesh? It's about the law here. <laughs> he says, look, you can't, you can't have the Spirit work powerfully in your life if you're under the law. This is the shocking theme of Galatians itself. If you want to overcome epi-desires, Paul's saying you're going to have to get out from underneath the law. Do you want to 
settle this war on the flesh, you can't live by the law. So what is the law? (laughs) In the context of Galatians, what Paul is talking about right here, the thing that's keeping us from growing, okay, is the value system that we are to work and do good things to please God. We have to earn God's love. And so uh, the regular consequence is just try harder, and and you're disciplined so much the better. Another way of looking at it, it's it's a paradigm. It's an entire worldview of, of, of a belief system that says that you know, I have to earn my right to be a, not only just approved by God, but if I'm going to grow and become like Christ, if I'm going to pick up attributes or fruit, I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to work on that. So we have to, Paul is saying, no, 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 that whole paradigm, that law thing can't be part of your life or you won't experience the spirit and you won't have the spirit grow fruit in your life. Look how the law system you know, shows up again and prevents us from enjoying the Holy Spirit's work in our life in verse 22 and 23. This is literally the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but look how he ends it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But watch. Against such things, there is no law. There it is again. He brings up the law in, the, in a list of all these spiritual fruit. And the point is this. That legal system doesn't work with God. It doesn't work with the Spirit. The fruit doesn't save you. The, it's not even your fruit. <laughs> it's, not our, it's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, the fruit is just evidence that the Holy Spirit is working through us, not through the law, so that the Holy Spirit gets credit for the love and the joy and the peace and the patience in our life. Just like in salvation, it is by grace alone that we're saved, and only Jesus gets credit for that. This is only the Spirit gets credit for becoming like Christ in all of life. So just the point is this. The only way we can grow in Christ, the only way we can grow in fruit, the only way we can transcend these epi desires is to stop thinking we can work towards God's approval. Let me say it a different way. The merit system of earning God's respect doesn't work. It short circuits this. Let me say it another way. Here's how Paul said it. What God began in the spirit supernaturally He's not going to perfect with the law. What he began with the Spirit, he's going to perfect with the Spirit. What began with grace, a gift, he will perfect and finish with grace. This is such a foreign concept to us. I think we're bent wired against it. (laughs) I just want to summarize what we've talked about and apply it maybe in different ways so it makes more sense. We have a sin nature, a bent that bent causes us to sin and have epi desires, but also it causes us to desire to earn our way into a good standing with God. When we, talk, when we say epi desires, that's the fuel that we run on. It, it motivates our choices. And so we have passionate choices where we, we want to 
feel good, and then it devolves into I must feel good. And when we must feel good, that epi-desire motivates us to make some dreadful decisions that usually hurt people that we love the most. But we could also have an epi-desire that's moral, like security. That's a good thing. But when it, <laughs> when it becomes an, an ultimate thing, then it starts to be what motivates us to, to live our lives. And so we find ourselves worry, angry, jealous towards other people that have more security. We never get security, get compulsive about it. You know how much security you need in retirement? A little more. It's always going to be a little more. You can always be more secure. So that's the problem. And how do we get away from these super desires? How do we let the Spirit of God work in our life? How, does, how do we release ourselves to the Spirit so that He will take us places and have us do things that the law would never do? Did you hear that? The Spirit will take us places and have us do things that the law would never do. More things. How do you get that? You change the fuel that you're running on. You're changing the paradigm that you're living for. You're no longer under the law, a merit-based system, but he says, you go over here, it is a grace-based, loving relationship with God. And you do whatever you have to do to protect and to pursue that intimate relationship. What, what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, is any and every activity that, that enhances a relationship that is based on love, and that love is just based on a gift. So throughout the Bible, you'll see a list of do's and don'ts, but they're not, they're not, they're not to earn good standing. They're they're to protect the relationship with God. So you'll see in the Bible, cover to cover, honestly, you'll see it throughout the New Testament as well. Just a list of, of things to stop doing. Stop doing this, start doing that. Stop thinking this way, start thinking that way. Paul will say one time, uh, get out of your dead you know, flesh clothes and be clothed in Christ. Quite often, Paul will say, you got to kill that old nature and part of the old nature is pride, thinking you could earn God's love, and then live, live by the Spirit. It's not moralism. It can look like moralism, but it's, it's the physics of relationships. Let's put it that way. It's the physics. It's the truth of how relationships work. So look, let's read what it means and how to walk in the Spirit. He's going to say, don't do and, do, and, and to do these. Don't look at them as rules. Think about it as a intimacy with God. Look at verse 24. Stop doing this. So, okay, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've been crucified. They have, they have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and its super desires. Here's what we start doing, the next sentence. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So we crucify uh, we crucify, you know, our flesh and these fleshly super desires. We look at, we look at when we fail, when we fail or when we sin, 
And we try to find out why would we do that, and the answer is going to be because we love that, that we desire that more than we desire a relationship with God. So the, the war here is really a fight for first love. It's, fight, it's, it's a battle between what is the highest desire in a person's life. And so when he talks about crucifying the flesh, sometimes that is a very strong love. And in the context of addiction, that's why we have such a wonderful ministry here called Celebrate Recovery, because sometimes, oh, we love things way more than we ought to. And so sometimes hurts, habits, and hang-ups, we need other brothers and sisters to come around us and say, <laughs> we got we to gotta put that where it belongs. We need to crucify that. And then he says, now walk in the Spirit, be in step with the Spirit. And it, it looks like that's a law. Don't do this, do this. But it's not. Because it's about motive. And the motive is love. It's not my power to do things so that I will produce fruit. It is stopping bad, starting good, so that I can be intimate with with God who provided salvation for me, and not just salvation, but what's called sanctification, and he will produce his fruit in me. It looks like, it just, it, I know, it's do's and don'ts. It looks like the law, but he says we're not under the law. So it's about relationship. Let me put it another way. A really great marriage looks a lot like slavery. And I probably ought to say that differently. Um, but, but think about it. Look, think about it. A really great marriage looks a lot like slavery. It looks a lot like law. You probably had this experience of some venue, right? Uh, me and all my old buddies, all my buddies, we love hunting. I love my buddies, and I love hunting. And you get married, and somewhere in that timeline... My buddies call and say, well, let's go hunting. It's that time of year again. And then I say, well, I got to check with my wife. And then here it comes. Oh, is she the boss of you? Or do you have to earn her love? And the answer is, no, see, how, here's how it's going, my buddies. I love my wife more than hunting. And I love my wife more than you. So I'm going to check with my wife. It's not law, it's love. And love will take you places the law will never take you. Law will have you doing, or love, I'm sorry, love will take you places the law will never have you go or do, and love is stronger than the law. <laughs> it's not about what you love, it's about what you love the most. Watch what happens in verse 16. So I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify, you will not gratify the super desires of the flesh. It doesn't say, here's how the law works, walk in the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, and you will not, because you're running on a different fuel. You're running on, on love. He first loved us. Let me put it another way. Uh, Love Melinda, my wife, Melinda. Love Melinda and do not pursue other women. No. Love Melinda and you will not pursue other women. I'm not under law. I'm under love. And love will take you places the law will never take you. Love will have you do things the law will never have you do. Love is stronger than the law. 
So the solution to the battle of the flesh and its epi desires and the spirit, and he has epi desires, is to walk in and step in the spirit, step with the spirit in everything and all the time. Make him your first love. Make the Lord Jesus Christ the object of your first love. And that will make way for the Spirit to produce His fruit in your life. Let me give you uh, a picture of what that could look like. I'm just going to, let's be, let's be four again and have a, a vivid imagination. So let's just pretend that left at your door is this immaculate invitation to a very special dinner. It has a gold seal on it, and you find out it's real gold. <laughs> and it says, I, I want to meet you at the finest restaurant in all of the world with the most spectacular view that you have ever seen. And so, of course, you, you'd attend that dinner, and so you get to that top floor, and the elevator doors open, and there's no one in that restaurant. It's empty, except for one table by the window. Now you're a little nervous, maybe a little scared. So you walk over to the table, just waiting for time to pass. You look out and see that view you never thought you'd ever see in your whole life. And then you turn back around, and across the table is a man, but not like any man you've ever seen. The ultimate expression of the original design of a real man. He stares into your eyes and you can't take your eyes off of him. He is gentle and strong. He is beautiful. He's the Prince of Peace. He's Jesus the Christ, the King of all kings, as land has returned. And he's looking through you. It's hard to breathe. And then he says this, I have come, I've invited you to tell you some truths and I want you to listen to me. Let's do this. Let's get there. Let's close our eyes. Just close our eyes. Just humor me. Close your eyes and listen. You're at this table and Jesus says to you, you're the only one. I have come to tell you some truths. And he says this, I know you. And now you know that I know you. So we start to cry. And then he says, I don't need you for anything. I am sufficient. Not being cruel. I'm just here to tell you some truths. I don't need you to do anything. I can do everything. That's just true. I know every thought and every motive of everything you've ever done and not done. Everything you will do and not do. And then he says, I love you. I have chosen to love you. 
and I choose because I can. And I want you, I have chosen to love you, and I want you to believe in my love. And I want that belief in my love to set you free to love me and to love others. Your belief in my love for you will set you free to love me and to love others. Oh, you think he's done, but he's not. He says, now this is going to hurt. But he says, the Lord says this, he says, it insults my love for you when you try to earn it. It grieves me. It insults my love for you when you try to earn it. Let my free gift of my love be the sap in your soul. He says, I'm going to leave you two things. I'll leave you a letter that explains who I am and what I'm like. Give you promises to live by. We'll call that the Bible. Then he takes off his spectacular ring. And he gives it to you, and he says, this I want you to take. It's my spirit. Look at it like an engagement ring. It's a ring filled with promises. This spirit shows that you belong to me. I own you. It says that I'm coming back, and I'm coming back for you. I'm going to give you my spirit to remind you that I paid for you, and because of that, there's no condemnation in our relationship. And then he says again, stop even thinking about trying to pay me back. What do you have that's valuable to me? This is all a gift. My love fuels our relationship. And that fuel changes your whole reason and motive for living. And all God's people said, amen. What if you had a meaning like that? I mean, you, so many of you read your Bibles all the time. That's based on the Bible. That happened. What would that change? That would change the fuel you run on. It would change the absolute motive for the choices that you make. A loving relationship that is based on the gift of love produces fruit because the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, it causes that fruit to break out. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is envisioning your life as though you're holding hands. You're a five- or four-year-old boy or girl, and you're just living life holding hands with your Savior, and He will never let go of you. And that That is how love will take you to places and have you do things that the law would never have you do. Because you know what changes the soul? Not the law. Only grace transforms. Only God's love has that kind of power. What you began in the Spirit, what God began in the Spirit, He wants us to allow the Spirit to perfect in our lives. That's the point. And that changes our lives, because it changes the motive. It changes the fuel that we run on. Think about um, the last time you lied. Why did you lie? The reason we lie is because there's something that we want. It's a desire. It's become an epi-desire, right? 
a super desire, and, and we're not, we're afraid to lose whatever that is. And so we will make up a lie if it assures that we'll keep that thing. It could be like something like approval or, or power or security or happiness, but I'll lie so I can keep that because we have the wrong first love. But what if the first love is this relationship with God and, and His love flowing through us changes the paradigm and that thing that we used to desire becomes a regular, just a desire, desire, and we're willing to tell the truth at the risk of losing it, and if we lose it, we still win because we have this ring, we have this spirit within us that we love more. The desires of the flesh, they don't go away. They just become petty. They used to be driving the car. Now they're in the back seat. Sometimes we need to throw them in the trunk where they belong, right? Not even listen to them and shut up. Sorry, I know it's a cuss word. It is in my house too, but for that kind of stuff, yeah. This is how the fruit of the Spirit works. That's how we are led by the Spirit. That's how we walk in the Spirit, okay? That's a great day of grace. Now, how does that apply to peace? There's fruit, love, and joy, and now we're at peace. How, do, how does this apply to peace? Well, we can look at the passage we looked at last week, Philippians chapter 4, because that passage, oddly enough, is the most highlighted verses, set of verses in the Bible in Kindle. I don't even know what any of that means. I just found that out. But apparently, Kindle highlighting, you can tell other people. This is it, because it's about joy and it's about peace. But let's look at this now. It is a command, mind you. It is, but let's read it as though it were physics for a relationship with a great King Jesus. Look, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what is he telling us to do? It's a law, it's a rule, right? It's a command. But it's, it's a love thing. He says, constantly talk to God about everything. Constantly talk to God about everything. That's, that's physics of, of a great relationship. In a marriage, you see people, a great marriage, they are constantly talking to each other about everything. Checking in once or twice a day. When you get, like when you finally get together again, tell me about your day. Tell me everything. Everything. Working on that. Everything. Not just the big stuff. If you're waiting to share the big stuff with God and then start praying, there's kind of there's nothing all that big for God. <laughs> so empires. Whoosh. But when Jesus talks about, about peace, when he's talking about your anxiety, he brings in prayer in prayer and peace, and he says the same thing. He says, ask, seek, knock. And then he says it again: ask, seek, knock. I'm a good father. You're a bad father. You're doing pretty good at this. I'm a good father. And then he says, he says, listen, I, I know every hair on your head. You would, everything's trivial. I mean, I know, I know everything about you. He says, uh, if a sparrow falls to the ground and dies, I know that. And you matter more than a sparrow. So what's he saying? He says, let's keep the relationship going. Talk to me all the time about everything. Because that's what a loving relationship is. Tell me about your job. Tell me about your hobbies. Tell me about your, 
you know, just staying in shape when you're going to the gym. Let's go. Let's talk a lot. The fruit of the Spirit's not like a self-help technique because there's no self in this. It's the fruit belongs to the Spirit, and we're trying to get Him to get involved in our lives. So we're not creating peace within us. We're, we're doing things to allow Him to empower us. Uh, it's like a, like a sailboat. You don't cause the sailboat to move. You just lift the sail up on the mast and make sure you're pointed in the right direction. But what causes it to move? It's the Spirit that causes you to enjoy the day on the lake. That's what he's doing. These are just, just the physics of a relationship. That's the physics of sailing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this advice. How do we get peace in our life? Peace of God in our life. We talk to him about everything all the time. So we have homework, right? This is our devotional. What we're doing here is we have a devotional together. You can download it on the internet if you want. There it is. We have plenty of copies this time, I assure you. We have enough for North Austin. We're all going through this together. We kind of have three points to what we're going to try to do. We're, we're picking a passage. At least we'll all be going through this together. You can look at a passage that we're studying from the, our time together. You can look at a passage that's in the, the notes themselves. Sometimes it's a different passage. Or the memory verse that's on the little sticker that you get. You find that verse that you want to memorize. You write that down. Put it on a post-it note or some, some kind of paper. You want it in front of you all the time. You're praying through that verse throughout the day. And the third thing we're doing is we're praying throughout the day. This is what I'd like us to do. This is the challenge for the summer. Let's turn our radios off in our drive time. Our regular drive times, maybe to or from work or whatever it might be, turn the radio off, whatever the noise is, and just use that to talk to God about everything. All the anxiety, all the celebration, everything. I'm going into a meeting. Lord, help me see people as human beings. I'm drowning in monotony with, the, with what's going on at home with the kids. Help me enjoy this very moment. Let me see these moments. Help me put my phone away and look into the eyes of my children. You can pray. Here's a great prayer. Uh, what is your gift and how are you using it at your church? Uh, here's Melinda prays this daily. She has what's her gift is hospitality. How does she do? She prays for it all week long. And when she shows up here, she's looking for people so that she can take out her hospitality on them and make them feel like this is a home for them. I know. It's kind of, she would say that differently, I'm sure. <laughs> you want a place to start? Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. That's a fabulous paragraph because it talks about how to experience the peace of God. And it's not our peace trying to get out. It's this other peace from God. And the peace that we're talking about here has a name. I love how in, in the first section that we read there that, that you know, we, we pray all the time about everything with thanksgiving. And it says the peace of God, which is beyond our understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. I like it's just like think of a, some guy in tactical gear, you know, just a police officer. I'm guarding the heart and mind of this person with the peace of God. And then what's interesting is Paul turns it in chapter, in verse seven, same paragraph, or I'm sorry, verse nine of the same paragraph, 
And it's not about the peace of God anymore. Look what he says in verse 9. Paul says, he kind of concludes his section on peace, and he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, put this into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. The peace of God will be with you. We've gone from, I'm sorry, I just said it wrong, the God of peace. The God of peace will be with you. It goes from the peace of God to the God of peace because this peace has a name. It's Yahweh. It's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And what Paul is saying in this section here is he's saying, just look at, look at my relational physics that I'm working. Here's like what you've received from me, learned from me, heard from me, everything you've ever, look at, look at my love relationship that I have with God. Look what fuels my life. My old life saw, Paul, the law, and the law can't change a soul. But look what happened to me now. What you've seen in me, learned from me, witnessed in my life, that kind of relationship. Look where love has taken me. Look what love has had me do. So powerful. That. Do that. And the God of peace will give you the peace of God and he will guard your hearts and minds. And it's way past your ability to understand it. That is how you get peace. It's from the Spirit. We need to just yield and abandon this model of insulting God's love by trying to earn it or pay it back. I hope your life just got turned right side up. It's a beautiful passage. Let's pray that we might believe that. Holy Father, that first loved us, first I'd, I confess that I have injured you and uh, insulted your love by trying to earn it. And I know there's so many men and women here that don't under, they've never experienced this maybe in their own life maybe having to earn their parents' love, lost uh, their respect. Everything was on a grade somehow, performance. It's so part of our culture as well. So, Lord, that bent is in me, and I bring it to our relationship, and it's scandalous. You love me first, and that should be the sap of my soul. Lord, I ask that, the gra- that, that grace would transform this church and everyone in it. That we would abandon any model of, uh, of law. And that your love would take us places and have us do things that the law would never acquire. Because love is stronger than law. And only grace can transform. So Lord, I'd ask that peace would come over us. Because that we are regularly all the time talking to you about everything because that's what a loving relationship has and we want to do that and we want the God of peace shalom to bring us shalom because you will not let go of our hands as we walk through the valleys of even the shadow of death we pray this because this is a promise that you gave us and we live by those promises in Jesus name amen